This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nathaniel Paul Thurston of the Illinois Thurstons. And across from me is Mr. Charles Lawrence Thompson of the Louisiana Thompsons. How's it going today, Chuck? I think it's more of the English Thompson. Okay. Somehow. Sure. Yeah. So you're um, oppressive, tyrannical. You care a lot about the, the... the drama going on with Harry and Megan or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you that seen just, all that? It's riveting. My God, why yeah. do girls care about that so much? I I don't understand. I cannot. I, how how can I explain to my wife more how much I don't care about it? You'll never understand the fantasy of there's prince not, and princesses. There's not a thing that that dude's going to say that's going to make me feel bad for him or care. Or there's not a single thing he's going to say. That's my biggest thing about the whole thing. It's like, you know. I'm not saying people don't have a right to complain because everybody's, you know, experience is unique. However, you got to put some, some things into perspective. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. You're the prince or you were the prince of mother truck in Wales or whatever it's called. I don't know. (laughs) It's mother truck in Wales. That's what it is. You know, it's like you, you won the lottery. You did without having to play. Yeah. I don't feel bad. Now I think there were some maybe nefarious things. Don't care. With Epstein Island, I care about children. Well, I don't care about that. Yeah, if there's some criminal wrongdoing and he's got the dirt, but so far here's the dirt, Charlie. They were mean to me. Yeah. Damn. I'm and sorry. People were racist towards his wife. And here we are spending the first three minutes of the show talking that's, about it. That's Those exactly, freaking tyrannical. That's what they want you. You to just do. can't get away from it. All right. This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning and how to get banned on YouTube, which we have become professionals at. How would you say we got banned on YouTube, Charlie? How did we? Yeah. I think some bot that Google has just heard something that was said on the show and just decided to give us a strike. Probably true. One week suspension. Mm -hmm. Can't do anything. YouTube prison. We just had one of our best weeks, too. Had a YouTube short doing really well. Got some new subscribers. Every time we get the ball rolling, of course, the reason the ball got rolling is probably because we said something true. And then we end up getting suspended mm. for a week. This time I did appeal because it was COVID-19 medical misinformation. The worst, the most egregious of sins it, on the internet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the video was about, was us talking about Tamar Hamlin, the... Everyone knows the Bills player. And in that video, we were making fun of people who said that clearly the reason he collapsed was because of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And we got suspended. For making a joke. For making fun of people who said it was because of the vaccine. It was a joke, YouTube. (laughs) I even wrote it down in my diary. 
It doesn't even matter if it's a joke. We were saying that it, there's no way of saying that it's because of the vaccine. And the people who were saying that were being ridiculous. And we still got banned for it. There ain't no right or wrong or rhyme or reason. We're probably flagged <sighs> as far-right extremist conservatives. I guess so. Yeah. In other news this morning. MAGA loving. The other thing, uh, the FAA, not the FFA. This is the FAA had an issue with their planes. Um, we're not going to go into a lot of detail. Basically, computer system, malfunction, whatever it was. Planes got grounded for a while. A lot of flights actually ended up getting canceled. I assume that Elizabeth Warren's going to want to break up the FAA or find them somehow. For their monopoly mm-hmm. on surf, <laughs> surface-to-air communications. I know that this thing doesn't happen ever because it's never happened before, uh, this uh, this malfunction. I also am not going to jump on the, oh, it's because Mayor Pete took a paternity leave off and couldn't fix potholes. What do you think the guy at the top actually does? You yeah. know, and we don't even know if he likes being on top. <laughs> you know, he might not even like the job in the he first might place. Not. Yeah. Why? Why would you assume? No, this is probably because it's a government or something else happened that they're just not going to tell us about. You know, it was a, it was a, a sad training exercise accident that mm. happened. Yeah. You know, something like that. Somebody pressed F11 instead of the key F11. I bet is what happened. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, those, what are you going to do? With those systems, you know, they're they're fickle. <laughs> it's probably because they need a bigger budget. Yeah. I bet. All right, I'm going to do this first one because the second one, it's all for you because you are a business, you are a businessman. And so the, the second one. Allegedly. Allegedly. We're not sure. Mm. This first one, this is new. Biden's newest student loan proposal would allow some borrowers to pay back only a fraction of what they owe. This is pretty new thing. Uh, that they're throwing out. You know, the last one didn't work. Since they can't get it. Couldn't get it. And so what they're going to do is they're just going to adjust some of the current programs they have to essentially make it to where no one has to pay back any thing, huh. any monies. And that's, you know, that's the root cause of the problem. Yeah. Legal loophole, I mm-hmm. think. On Tuesday, this is from Reason, Emma Camp over at Reason.com. On Tuesday, the Biden administration announced a full-fledged transformation of the Income Debt Repayment Program, or IDR. The proposed 179-page regulation expands upon the plan changes to the IDR originally announced in August. Under the new program, which is set to be called Repay, E, E with an E at the end, I don't know what the E stands for yet, but it has something to do with the first word, Repay, not meaning repay. That's the kind of the ironic name uh, or the gaslighting name, whatever it is that they came up with here. The previous five IDR plans would be consolidated into one streamlined program. We do actually have uh, some of their press release. The proposed regulations would amend the terms of the revised pay-as-you-earn plan to offer $0 monthly payments. That means no monthly payments. For any individual borrower who makes less than roughly $30,600 annually, and any borrower in a family of four who makes less than about $62,400. It still says any borrower in a family of four. I don't think they mean the entire family of four. Uh, I'm wondering if they mean that one person. Not sure yet. The regulations would also cut in half monthly payments on undergraduate loans for borrowers who do not otherwise have A $0 payment in this plan. The proposed regulations would also ensure that borrowers stop seeing their balances grow due to the accumulation of unpaid interest after making their monthly payments. Hmm. 
I still like how they demonize the interest stuff. I'm like, who runs all the loans, man? Right. right. It's, the, it's the government. That's yeah. <laughs> who is doing all this. While these regulations would provide critical relief to student borrowers, the Biden-Harris administration is also committed to ensuring post-secondary institutions and programs are held accountable if they leave borrowers with unaffordable debts. Charlie, they're finally going after colleges. That's, yes. Okay, that's too bad because that's not what they're doing. No, it's the banks. No, the department is currently working on a proposed gainful employment regulation that would cut off federal financial aid to career training programs that fail to provide sufficient financial value and require warnings for borrowers who attend any program that's a career training program that leaves graduates with excessive debts. Mm. Not the colleges, not your four-year degrees or your six-year, your eight-year degrees. The technical schools. The technical schools where you go for like a year. Yeah. Or cosmetology school or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Those are the ones that they, they have to show that they are providing adequate financial value. I mean, those are just like those predatory, you know, mm. uh, lending sharks. Same thing. Yeah. Like Title Max. There have been shady institutions that didn't really give you anything in return. But it is odd to me that that is who they are singling out in this regulation and they're not mentioning the actual colleges, the universities no. themselves. Just the or, people... Or themselves. <laughs> Just the people who are offering cheaper options for specific jobs. Yeah. And and not and not calling themselves out for offering unlimited, uncollateralized loans for anything you could possibly want. That I don't know how you think you're gonna get away with that kind of racist nonsense on hey, this podcast. How much okay. of your loans did you actually spend on school? <laughs> Nate. Half. They see they don't even care where the money goes. No, I just took out. It's not like they checked to see. I just said, "Hey, I'm going to do this, and and what's the most amount of money that you're going to give me for doing this?" And I took it and I bought some new guitars and some amps and cables and stuff and a record and uh, paid for a little bit of some recording and all that. And I'm still paying for it right now. <laughs> I'm still paying yeah. for that band. At this moment, every month. Past Nate did not care about future Nate. <laughs> no. Yeah. He said that's a problem for future Nate, yeah. and I agree. It was a problem for future Nate. Still is. It still is <laughs> right now. Hello, I'm future Nate. The same regulatory package will also include proposals to strengthen the conditions that can be placed on institutions that fail to meet the requirements of the Higher Education Act or exhibit signs of risk. Any signs of risk. Mm. I bet the, hardly any colleges are going to qualify. Uh, for for failing to meet those requirements. So the estimated effects of the proposed IDR, the regulatory changes would substantially reduce monthly debt burdens and lifetime payments, especially for low- and middle-income borrowers, community college students, and borrowers who work in public service. Overall, the debt es- estimates that the plan would have... The department. Nope, the department estimates that the, estimates that the plan would have the following effects compared to the existing plan. Future cohorts of borrowers would see their total payments per dollar borrowed decrease by 40%. Borrowers with the lowest projected lifetime earnings would see payments that are 83% less. They're literally saying that they are going to subsidize the most worthless degrees. More. Harder. Subsidize me harder, daddy, (laughs) is what they're saying. Daddy Biden. While Mm. those in the top would... 
Well, those in the top would only see a 5% reduction. Well, they can afford <laughs> to pay it. They can afford to pay their fair share. <laughs> They're literally incentivizing the more worthless. <laughs> yep. So if you got a degree in gender studies, then... You have 83% mm-hmm. lower payment because of this. A typical graduate of a four-year public university would save nearly $2,000 a year relative to the current repay plan. Where have we heard that number before? Never heard it before. Yeah. But if you like your college, you can keep your college. <laughs> if you like your degree, keep your degree. Exactly. Yeah. The first-year teacher with a bachelor's degree would save more than $17,000 in total payments while pursuing public service loan forgiveness, a two-thirds reduction. 85% of community college bar- borrowers will be debt-free within 10 years. On average, Black, Hispanic, American Indian, and Alaska Native borrowers would see their lifetime payments per dollar borrowed cut in half. Now, what they would, what none of that says is that the colleges are still going to get all of that money. Every single thing that they just talked about reducing and you're going to save this on this, the college still gets all of it. They're not taking any kind of cut. Mm. In fact, probably going to be able to raise their prices. And because now with these types of programs, now more people are going to go to college. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, my God, I can get a $500,000 vac- vacation. <laughs> I can get a $500,000 resort for four years. Yeah, degree and party. And, and, <laughs> and I'm only going to owe, you know, 20% of that, 10 grand. I guess that'd be, yeah. Yeah, 10, 10 grand somewhere around there. Not only that, they're helping out the people who pursue the most worthless degrees and helping out less the people who pursue the better degrees. Now, I'm not saying I don't want them to do any of it at all. But if you were going to set up a system where you were incentivizing society and you were working them like marionettes, you know, I would want to incentivize the people who were going towards the best degrees that had the highest chance of earnings yep. later on. Here, Here's another interesting thing that we talk about that just kind of proves, you know, it's always hard to prove the unseen, but this is like when the unseen becomes seen, right? Because... You talk about how it's a bad idea for government to take over programs and everybody's like, oh, why? Look at all these terrible things. That. And you're like, well, this is what could happen. And see, this is, a, is an excellent example of the many thousands that we have of where the government creates a massive problem and then they come in to try to fix that massive problem. And it just gives them more problems to solve, which means you have to keep voting these people in. Otherwise, these problems, I mean... Yeah, you don't want to see these kind of problems. You got to vote these people in to make these different rules so that your problems go away. We just kick the can down for the next person. That's why it's so important every time that they decide they're going to blame something on capitalism or greed or whatever it is that they're using. Like we go after Robert Wright so much and Bernie and all these other people. Uh, it's so important that we do that because what Charlie's saying is exactly correct. The problem is. We do live in the scene. This is what happens after they take it over, but they're going to blame it on someone else and they're going to point out some other victims and they're going to use the victims of like a uh, Trump university or something and they're gonna say, oh yeah, we're going to go after those uh, career and what do they got? Career programs, whether career training programs, those evil career training programs and make sure that they're giving you good value they're, But then they're not going to do anything about the colleges. It's almost like a bunch of people who went through all these colleges 
are now some of the people who are making some of these dumbass rules. I don't know about you. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> All right. That's basically the uh, the end of that one. Oh, yeah, we got this. I was going to bring up this tweet from Elizabeth Warren. That's what I was looking at. She pointed out she pointed out how much more expensive schooling has gotten, and I retweeted her. Just give me one awkward moment. Let me try and find it. Everyone talk amongst yourselves while I'm looking. Charlie. Think about those thoughts you don't want to think about as you're driving yeah. in your car right now. Type whatever it is that's in your head that you would never tell anyone. <laughs> Type it out onto your keyboard for the moment. Yeah. How can I not find this? Anyway, I'll go on to the next article. We'll see. Lost in the cloud. Yeah. It's not going to matter now. Well, it's about the cost of tuition going up. I mean, we can talk about that briefly and just say, obviously, this is something that's happened every time the government has taken over anything. If you just look at what the government's involved in, you guys have seen these charts out there over and over and over and over again. Whenever the government gets involved, the prices go up and it becomes a, a, a even bigger problem. I think Milton Friedman said anything that's a market failure that you give to government will just become a government failure. And people think the government's just going to be able, whatever the market failure is, if the government takes it over, eh, that'll solve the problem, right? I, I don't see any, I don't see anything showing me that they're going to be able to do a better job than the market. And it we'll turns have to skip out past this tweet. I no can't one find in it. government is as smart as they think they are because these are impossible problems to solve. Okay. Up next from the WAPO. Thanks, Jeff. A champion of free markets, the GOP should embrace. So, Lena Khan, head of the Federal Trade Commission, is demonstrating a commitment to competitiveness and free markets that even Republicans should embrace. The most recent example, the FTC's proposal this past week to do away with non-compete agreements. I like how this is from Jennifer Rubin. I like how she words that even Republicans should embrace. She's so good at the the narcissistic gaslighting it's just, it, it's who she is. She doesn't really, I don't think she has to think about it. So maybe it's not as impressive as we think it is. But just in that, that even Republicans, she is implying that Democrats are for free markets and competitiveness and that Republicans talk about it. Now she's right about that part. Now they'll talk about it, but they're not really so much for competitiveness. Mm -hmm. But she's implying that clearly people on the left, these free market people, uh, that they're trying to get this through. Mm -hmm. Such agreements prevent workers from going to work for a competing employer for months or even years. As the FTC explained in a statement, this is a, quote, widespread and often exploitative practice that suppresses wages, hampers innovation, and blocks entrepreneurs from starting new businesses. The release added, by stopping this practice, the agency estimates that the new proposed rule could increase wages by nearly $300 billion dollars per year and expand career opportunities for about 30 million Americans. Now, what is a non-compete? Most of you should know about this. It's usually in your employer contract or it's in a, a 1099 contract or any contracts that you do in business. Almost all employee contracts contain some sort of non-compete clause that says, Hey, if you're going to work for us, then it also has a non-solicitation clause in there too. Then, then any of our clients that we work with, um, 
they're not allowed to recruit you and you're not allowed to recruit our clients to come work for us. And um, if, if you leave or we, usually it's if, if you leave or while you're working for us, uh, you can't compete with us because, you know, we're taking a risk and paying you money so that you're not competing with us in this marketplace. It will go a little bit further than that. That sounds a lot like the ones that I've seen um, that that you've done or that you've had to look at. And we'll talk about what you can do when you run into a non-compete. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also go further than that. Like you can't work uh, in the same industry for a year right? after this. And it can be pretty broad. And there's a ridiculous example that even Joe Biden's going to bring up. But it's mm-hmm. a BS example. I'll tell you why here in a sec. All right. The proposed rule is far reaching. The FTC explains the proposed rule would apply to independent contractors and anyone who works for an employer, employer, whether paid or unpaid. It would also require employers to rescind existing non-competes and actively inform workers that they are no longer in effect. President Biden touted the move during his first cabinet meeting this year, expressing exasperation at a practice that effectively says, you're working for some way, and you can walk across the street and go to Jimmy John's and get a 20-cent raise. Can't walk across. Oh, you can't. Sorry. What the hell is that all about other than keeping wages down? Now, he brings up the Jimmy John's thing. Um, he got it backwards. So this is one I've heard. I keep hearing it. I've heard it on CNBC when I talked about it. I listened to uh, Breaking Points with Crystal and Sauger. They talked about it. They brought up the Jimmy John's thing. When I look up, do fast food workers have non-competes? This Jimmy John's thing keeps coming up. Uh, This comes from a a thing in 2014 where Jimmy John's got in hot water because they found out that there was a non-compete in their employment agreement for the your people that are making the subs. Essentially, meant if enforced, meant that you couldn't go work anywhere else that served subs anywhere within a two-mile radius of a Jimmy John's for two years after that. That's kind of ridiculous, right? Seems. So a lot of people got upset about that. And so I wanted to try and figure this out, what's going on. Uh, this came from a Huffington Post article. That's where I can find the... That's the origin source, the host of this mind virus that leaked out. Uh, came from this Huffington Post article where it says Jimmy John's makes low-wage workers sign oppressive no, non-compete you didn't agreements. Read that right. Mm. Jimmy John's makes. Yes. They force them. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Jimmy's John's <laughs> makes low-wage workers. Makes them. <laughs> ties, holds them this down. This guy makes them do it. <laughs> you just have to sign this contract just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Out of fear. Yeah. So... Okay, it's in there. It was it the it was in the contract for some of these franchises. Later on in the in the same Huffington Post article that came out in 2014 that spurred a bunch of this anger, it says one Jimmy's John's franchisee who asked to remain anonymous to protect the relationship with the company told Huffington Post that the non-compete clause is part of a standard issue hiring packet provided by corporate. And the decision to require workers to sign it is ultimately at the discretion of the individual franchisees. The franchisee said that since this story was published, some shop owners have pulled the non-compete. Huffington Post knows of no instance in which Jimmy's Johns has actually enforced this covenant upon a worker, and the company wouldn't necessarily be successful if it tried. 
And it would cost them way more money than what it's worth. Yeah. They try to enforce it. And and in fact, they can't enforce it. And they've agreed to, to not enforce it, even though they never did. Uh, they did get sued. Uh, they're based in Illinois. They got sued by Illinois. This is from Reuters in 2016. Jimmy's Johns has agreed not to enforce a prohibition on workers at its sandwich shop from taking jobs with competitors in order to settle a lawsuit claiming the agreements were illegal. The Attorney General of Illinois said on Wednesday, uh, the Illinois, uh, we'll have to know about that. Jimmy's John said in a statement that took steps to rescind non-compete agreements even before Illinois' office first contacted the company. The Attorney General had no evidence that Jimmy's John's ever enforced a non-compete agreement against an hourly worker, the company said. So they had never done it, but they did agree to, to pay out and they let everyone know that they weren't actually locked in. Now, I don't know how many places you've worked at, Charlie. I... I've worked at a, I've worked at a lot. You probably worked at a lot of different places too. I'm worked talking at, like restaurants. Worked at a few, you know, not just the, like the big companies. I'm talking fast food places, restaurants, stuff like that. Before, or say your real jobs that you've had in the last, you know, seven eight years. All my jobs weren't real. How many times would you say? No offense. I, I, yeah, it's just a figure of speech. They're real okay. jobs. All right. Okay. Especially serving people food. Everyone would die if it weren't for food. Exactly. Okay. It's That's important. a real job. It's important. It is real. Salaried career positions. Before those, how many times would you say you read through your employment oh, contract? When I was poor. Yes. Back That's in the you're... poor days. Yeah. Um. Well, this is weird. <clears throat> I mean, I, I usually read all of them just because I read contracts. When you were, when you were Even 16 when I was years 16, old, yeah. in your job at McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, I still read it. Well, I'm one of the few nerds who actually reads all of the provisions. I probably worked at 10 different places and I never once looked at a single word inside of yeah. any of those contracts. That kind of backfired on you because I, I actually do read contracts. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but did they? Like I was never... Yeah, that, that idea backfired for sure. But mm -hmm. I would guess that a bunch of people don't read them. Oh, yeah. Probably, probably 0.1% of people read them. Okay. Well, oh, but here's the thing also. It's like, it makes sense. A lot of times when I read a non-compete, as long as it's not egregious, you're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense that, you know, I'm, you're taking a risk to employ me and therefore like, I am agreeing that I'm not just going to run out and cause your business harm. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're, we're, we're working together mutually here, you know? And if I don't, if you don't agree, you don't have to sign it. That's the other thing. Have you, um, had experience in that? And, and as, um, as Dan pointed out here in the live group, they don't, they rarely hold up in court. It's very difficult to prove a, a real non-compete. Plus, Ed, a restaurant would never take, like McDonald's would never take the cashier who quit and went to Burger King, would never take them to court and say, like, no, no, I got to have this cashier back. Right. Like, they would never do that. Yeah, it would be, they would waste so much money. In fact, I went through four pages of Google search results today, and I couldn't find an example of your uh, hourly fast food worker being taken to court because they left an establishment like Jimmy's John's and went over the subway. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that people have talked about. I've heard everyone talk about it and it, and it was never actually enforced ever. And it's, it's just a bunch of virtue signaling, honestly, but I do think it, this, 
is not really free market because to me, a free market includes contracts. Mm -hmm. So I, I get that a lot of libertarians will say like, oh, well, you know, we don't agree with intellectual property or rights or these non-competes and all this stuff. It's like, look, you know, I, the way that I do business, I don't really, I don't enforce any type of non-compete. I have them in my contracts that I... You have non-competes. I sure do. Yeah. Um, but well, it's you've got a conflict of interest in this conversation then. But it's mainly, it's mainly because I work with people who also work on their own as well. So like I, I typically work with a lot of other independent contractors or other business owners where they could provide the same or similar services uh, that my company could, and they could just, you know, they could just steal the client out from underneath me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you don't want to do that. Otherwise mm -hmm. you wouldn't bring that person on to work. For you. As a business owner, you don't want that kind of competition driving your price down. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying. It's okay. Hey, look, <laughs> the, the other thing is, is that you can negotiate these. Mm -hmm. So it, contracts are negotiable. That's the biggest thing about this. And it makes sense. It's like, look, Hey, um, if you come, if I, if I go to work for you, I'm agreeing that I'm not just going to you know, get all the contacts and all of that and then offer them, you know, $5 less an hour and steal them from out from underneath you because you're giving me the opportunity. You're already giving me the in, right? Without mm -hmm. me having <clears throat> to spend the money on marketing and uh, building client relationships and rapport and all of that, like you're giving me access to the in. It's like you're inviting me into your house and you're just saying like, hey, can we agree that while you're in this house, you're not going to, my wife. It's almost part know? of an intellectual property conversation. Because now, if you win the wife in the free market, <laughs> that's fine. But yeah. like, don't come over to my house to do it. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Well, that's why you signed the marriage non-compete <laughs> contract. Yeah. Or, you know, don't kidnap my kid or something. I wasn't going that to. Way. I'm not saying you should kidnap kids in the free market, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm trying to give you an example of like, you have to think of a business as an extension of a person because that's what it is. Like there's a lot of things that went into that and I'm not saying I'm against competition, but what I am saying is that if I invite you in and let you have access to all of the things that I've done, like I'm just asking you not to screw me over and that we're going to agree on that. And the other thing is, is like I said, it's negotiable. I have been an independent contractor myself and also done, you know, contracts with other, um, well, I do contracts with all my clients and some of them have ridiculous non-competes. And I'm like, I'm, we as a company redline those mm -hmm. and we're like, Hey, mm -hmm. we rewrite them to something that's more fair. Like one time I had somebody send me a non-compete that I couldn't like I wasn't allowed to do business with clients of their clients or their clients or any of their prospective clients. Perspective was the word or, that was the issue. Yeah. Well, there was a bunch mm -hmm. and then it was for three years at the end of the termination. I'm like, Hey, I redlined all of that. And I was like, look, I, I will do a one year non-compete of your current roster of clients, not your past clients. Not your prospective clients, not three years, 
not your clients, clients, none of that. It's like your current roster of people that you're servicing that I'm going to be providing the same services for. I will not compete with you for a year after our, after our agreement ends. What I see is a big issue that uh, we don't know exactly what they're going to do yet, <clears throat> but still using you as an example, you do, uh, you know, a proprietary coding language and you use that and you have clients and you do work for them. You bring on a contractor and they don't say they don't know it, but you train them in that language and it takes four months for them to get proficient enough to do. It'll probably take a little bit more than that. I don't know. It takes six months for them to get proficient enough for you to give them a client to actually do work for. You pay them throughout the entire training process. Pay to train them. Yes. And then you have to, you're cause you're keeping the, <laughs> yes, you're paying to train them. And then once they're done training, you're like, Oh, Hey, here's a client. They're like, all right, cool. See ya. Thanks for the last paycheck. I'm getting out of here. I will support anything in a contract that stops that from happening. That is, uh, that absolutely, I think businesses should be able to prevent that legally from happening. And they are attempting to cut out some of that in this proposed rule as well. That's a big issue. And it's weird at the same time, the same time they're going after these career training programs too. And it's like, well, one thing that's happening is businesses are starting to not require that you have a college degree. They're being more willing to go outside of the college degree and take people who have some type of on the job or they already know whatever it is, say the, the programming language or whatever. They've worked on the job somewhere. And to me, what that does is as a smaller business owner like yourself compared to Ontario or whatever, mm -hmm. as a smaller business owner. It's a big province. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> really, there's a lot of people there. Yeah. And a lot of different employees yeah. in Ontario. So as a, as a smaller business owner, that makes it harder for you to train someone when then you'll just say, well, I, I'm only going to take people who have this knowledge, this skill set already right now. You're going to have to pay that person more when they come on also. But you're not going to take the risk of paying someone for six months and then they just leave right afterwards. So to me, it actually, I see some potential unintended or intended consequences. Yeah. I don't know which one it is. And I've also been an employee uh, during this period as well before where you can actually negotiate not just business contracts, but you can negotiate employee contracts. Mm. So when I took um, a job while also having my company, there was a non-compete clause in my employee contract that says that I would not compete with them or have another job or another business or anything like basically all of that. And I sent it back to him. I was like, yeah, I can't sign this. You know, like I have my consulting company. I want to keep my consulting company. Because I like my consulting company. Mm -hmm. And on average, it saves me $2,000 a year you know, <laughs> for my family of three. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I sent that back to him. I was like, hey, you know, I won't compete in the certain business line that you're in. However, I have another business line for my consulting company that I'm going to continue in. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. We rewrote the contract and it was all good. Because... Because contracts are negotiable. Yeah, what I'm, what we're really getting at here is any of these Jimmy's John's employees could have said, "Hey, 
what's up with this? And the idiot running the store, <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, sorry. The person running the sub shop would be like, I don't know. <laughs> Which is exactly what they <laughs> did just here. take it they, out. Yeah, let's take it out. <laughs> let's delete that out of here. Right. right. Wow, you read that? Do you want a better job? Yeah. <laughs> now, the other part of that is they could say no. They could mm -hmm. be like, well, now we want to keep that mm -hmm. in there. And then it's like, okay. You know well, what they do? They go. Don't, here's the thing. You don't have a right to that job. They leave and they go to a business that isn't requiring people. Right. To sign a non-compete. Yes. And then in the competitive landscape, you see, well, that business doesn't require people to sign that non-compete. And that's where people are going to work. Maybe I should take this pointless thing out of here the, since everyone's a freaking lawyer these days. Actual free market. It would take care of itself. We saw that with COVID vaccines. Oh, now you mentioned, now I mentioned vaccines. Well, we can't upload for a oh, week we anyway. Oh, that's fine. We can talk about all we <laughs> let's want. Get, let's get through this in three minutes so we can get on to the, well, the whether or not we're going to ban gas my stoves. point, you saw that with the vaccinations, right? There were a lot of employers who were requiring it, some that weren't. You saw people make that decision like, well, I'm not doing that. You could Same thing with, it's the same thing, same principle. The actual free market would allow these certain things because the free market has to be comprised of the basic principle that we talk about every single day on this show, which is self-ownership, right? It, you know, like I technically own this business. And if I wanted Nate to do his hair every single day before coming on this show, mm -hmm. I could technically enforce that if I wanted to. Probably could. If I was like, Nate, you were mm -hmm. never allowed to wear a hat again for whatever reason. I could do that. I would never do something like that because I'm a benevolent owner. If you but, employed me as a model, you could probably force me to lose weight too. Exactly. Good uh, idea. Where I highlighted right here, I wanted to uh, talk about the FTC for for two minutes. Okay. Because we basically covered everything else. Okay. All right. So this is not the first pro-competition move from progressive favorite con an antitrust guru and fierce anti-monopoly scholar who has taken on big tech and Amazon in particular. She vowed to shake up an agency not known for aggressive or innovative action. Last year, she sued to block Meta, Meta's acquisition of a virtual reality company defying antitrust orthodoxy. The New York Times reported at the heart of the FTC's lawsuit is the idea that regulators can apply antitrust law without waiting for a market to mature to the point where it is clear which companies hold the, the most power. The FTC said such early action was justified because Meta's deal would probably eliminate competition in the young virtual reality market. That they're, that they're creating. Minority Report. In the, in the metaverse. The FTC can see the future <clears throat> and they can stop these monopolies before they happen. So they blocked Meta from buying some type of a, I think it was a, a workout. I'll, I'll get this wrong, but it has something to do with fitness um, for, for the metaverse. And they said they couldn't buy it because it was going to harm the competition if they had this. And this is a market that doesn't even exist right now. But they could see the writing on the wall. I love that Jennifer Rubin says that this is innovative. This is the innovative FTC. Yeah. They're going after markets that don't even exist and, and saying that they know for sure this company is going to have a monopoly in the market that they are losing hundreds of billions of dollars trying to create the metaverse right now. Mm -hmm. 
mean, they're, that's why they've lost. So if you're paying attention to what people are saying in stocks all the time, it's why they've lost so much money because they're pouring all their money into this metaverse. Yeah, see, the FTC has these new uh, prediction models that they use to model out the mm-hmm. future. And they can see these are pre-monopoly antitrust <clears throat> blockades. Yes. To protect the consumer. You know, to protect you all from having, from from only having Meta as the only virtual reality metaverse company. See, they learned they should have blocked Microsoft from buying whatever company it was that was making Internet Explorer. You know, if they just bought that and they brought that into Windows, well, you got to stop them from buying that. That way, Internet Explorer would have been able to compete fairly in a market with uh Netscape or whatever else it was at that mm-hmm. time that took them to court. Anyway, oh, I hate, you know, the FTC just won't let you be. They won't That's let one me of the be big me. problems. They are correct, by the way, on the basic economic argument about the non-compete. Mobility is very important for people to be able to increase their wages. You being able to leave and go to another job and say, I want to raise at this job and then go into there. That is a, that is a basic economic argument that they are correct about. Because labor is a commodity. It's it is true. And the threat that you could leave is important for your current employer. As long as you're valuable. And the thing with Charlie, where Charlie was able to say, I don't want this non-compete in this contract. You know why he could say that? Because what you do is very valuable. And a lot of other people, most people, almost everyone can't do it. Currently, it's valuable. Well, yes. We, we won't know. No, ChatGPT is going to knock that out. <laughs> That's right. It's not going to be important anymore. <laughs> All right, we'll move on right quick. Let's talk about the gas stove ban that apparently is not going that. Well, they say it's not going to do what people are worried about, but they're not going to do it anyway. What? (laughs) This has been in the stack for a couple days. I just got my first one and I love it. It's so much better. Well, if you like your stove, you can keep your stove. This just applies to new ones. I I like the whole theme of this show. (laughs) Yeah. Gas stove ban. U.S. moves closer to action as a consumer agency turns up its scrutiny. The agency is reviewing gas stoves and range tops, opening a comment period for now. A member of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission told Bloomberg News in a recent interview. Attention on these appliances has increased in the wake of new studies of respiratory and certain cancer risks linked to their use, as well as research on their contribution to global warming. From the greenhouse gases that the combustion of natural gas and other fossil fuels releases into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Gas appliances are a hidden hazard, the CPSC Commissioner Richard Trumpka Jr. said in an interview. Any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Trumpka later tweeted To be clear, CPSC isn't coming for anyone's gas stoves. <laughs> Start seeing people protesting yeah. out there. Come and take it. Yeah. With their gas stoves. Regulations apply to new products for Americans who choose to switch from gas to electric. There is support available. There's support available. Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes an $840 rebate if you switch from gas to electric. Mm. They'll buy your electric stove for, for you. you. Mm. Now, that doesn't apply, of course, to future people who are excited about one day having a gas stove like I am. I currently don't have natural gas hookup at my house, but someday. That's sad. 
once I get rid of this damn non-compete, Charlie's got me, and I'm going to be able to get a higher wage at a different podcast. And I will be able to get a gas stove. Okay? But I do know... <laughs> just... Yeah. I do know a little bit about how regulations that don't force you to get rid of your current appliance or whatever can affect you later on. Like how I just had to pay $8,000 for a new air conditioning unit. Mm. They didn't force me to get rid of my air conditioning unit, but they did ban the refrigerant that my air conditioning unit ran on. And then they also made basically, it would have cost me five, $6,000 to fix what broke on my air conditioning on my air conditioning unit as confirmed by several different places, not just the one I ended up going with. And so they did not force me when they banned, um, the, uh, well, what do you call the, well, what do you call the, the refrigerator? Freon. Freon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they banned that, they didn't force me. They didn't force everyone to get rid of all their Freon appliances. What they did force me to do was when my AC broke, and that needed to be repaired and refilled with Freon. It was actually only $2,000 more for me to get a brand new unit. And so that's, of course, what we went with. Instead of paying what it should have cost like 20 years ago, which was like 500 bucks to fix what the problem was. Mm-hmm. So no, they're not going to force you to get rid of your gas stove. That's not what they're doing. But they're just gonna- so you know, it, it will happen. Yes. Because you won't be able to fix them or buy new ones. The impact is significant. I have to tell you, mm-hmm. cooking on gas is way better. Oh, yeah. Way better. So much better. I know. Especially if the power goes out. Yeah. I tell you what, when the power goes out. The gas stove will get way hotter <laughs> during that time. I've checked. When we had our power go out, literally the first weekend that it was, you know, single digits here in Nashville, our power went out the first night, somewhere around two o'clock in the morning, and our house got cold quick. I woke up, I think it was already in the 50s. I'll tell you something, the gas fireplace still worked. Mm, I thought you were going to say you turned all the burners on the stove on. I could have done that too, but <laughs> the gas fireplace worked just mm-hmm. fine. Well, they're coming for those next. Yeah, I'm sure. Gas stoves, particular, oh, so one-third of U.S. households, more than 40 million homes, cook with gas. Gas stoves, particularly those that are not well-ventilated or for which homeowners do not consistently use ventilation, emit air pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and fine particulate matter into one home, into the home at levels the EPA and the World Health Organization have said are unsafe. Contain COVID. And that are linked to respiratory illness, which means they know a guy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) including asthma, cardiovascular problems, cancer, and other health conditions. I'm not saying they don't cause those those, things. those things put into the air in your home if you don't have the ventilation going. Yep. Say that makes some scientific sense. Mm-hmm. However, we'll talk about the study. Just last month, peer-reviewed research published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, one of our finer institutions, found that more than 12% of current childhood asthma cases can be attributed to the use of gas stoves. 12% of current cases mm. are because of gas stoves. That report had the backing of RMI, which is formerly Rocky Mountain Institute, and Rewiring America, two groups that are pushing for the conversion of gas to electric. <laughs> yes. Two groups that are pushing. The report that is being cited right now had the funding of two different groups that are literally, they, all they do 
is lobby for people to switch from fossil fuels to electric. Mm -hmm. And they funded the study. Uh, I went ahead and I had to look at the study. And they do talk about the funding and talk about RMI. Then they match it, they uh, mention the National Cancer Institute as well. And then at the bottom, they say there's no conflicts of interest declared in the study. No I'm, conflicts. I'm glad. At all. I'm glad. Co-author on the study, I'm telling you, I went into this man, Brady Seals, the manager at RMI. That's like, um, real quick, I watched the Bernie Madoff documentary last night on Netflix. We talked about it in the pre-show, which you can go do by going to joingmail.com. And one of, the, one of the times, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin parts of it for you. One of the times uh, the SEC got wind that Bernie Madoff had a hedge fund, but he wasn't a registered investment advisor, right? This hedge fund of his was secret. Mm. And so the SEC called him. They didn't show up at his office or anything like that and do an investigation. They called him. They're like, hey, Bernie, we heard that you have this hedge fund. Is that true? And he was like, no, I don't have one. And they were like, okay, that's what we thought. And he just hung up. It's the same thing as these authors saying here. <laughs> No, there's no conflict of interest. Just believe me. There's no conflict of interest, Charlie, because this RMI is a nonprofit. Of course. Although all they do is help businesses along converting everything from anything fossil fuel over to electric. Mm. But they're nonprofit. Yep. There's no conflict of interest on the study from RMI, who literally on the front page says that they have less than 10 years to act to avert to the disastrous effects of climate change. And they're saying RMI is tackling the climate crisis by focusing on its main contributor, energy, production, and use, which represents 70% of our global greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, energy is 70% of the problem. You can go through some of their work. This is uh, just a environmentalist, I don't know, money pit? Mm -hmm. Is that They had tons of employees, like big company. Big company. I had to go all the way through there and find, uh, what's her name? 500 staff. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people there. I, then I found out that they were in alphabetical order, so I found that Brady girl's picture way faster once I realized that. Mm. I wish I would have known that, but I, I did get, you know, I got through a couple hundred of them before. Anyway, there's no conflicts of interest in the study that recommends, uh, oddly, that we switch everything over to electric, which doesn't use natural gas to be produced at all. Electricity. Except coal. Or natural gas. <laughs> or natural gas, yeah. yeah. And some other stuff, too. Um, but, yeah, still going to use natural gas. In fact, the electricity required to run your electric stove uses more natural gas to produce that electricity than the natural gas that your stove uses when you're cooking something. Mm. Just not that. But you don't get the childhood asthma yeah. victimhood thing and card. Can, and cancer. Also, this study that is pushing the consumer protection, whatever it is, is just a study that looks at a bunch of other studies. And I went into some those of those... Those are my favorite studies. I went into some of those studies, and you know what they were looking into? Other studies. Other studies. It's pretty good. Pretty good. They did, however, leave one out uh, from 2013 that says, according to the 2013 study, Cooking Fuels and Prevalence of Asthma, a global analysis of the phase three of the... Internet, they really got to come up with better names for this, which analyzed 500,000 primary and secondary school children from 108 centers in 47 countries. According to that study, there is no evidence of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis. And that was backed by a company 
advocating for natural gas. <laughs> Not included in this study, which is advocating for converting over everything to natural gas. I love the last line here. This last line's great. It is not clear. <laughs> that one? Yes. It is not clear why this study was excluded from the recent RMI slash Rewiring America paper. Yeah, not clear. I said, no clue. Not clear why we would include a study that, that completely, you know, completely destroys our thesis and what we know to be true. No reason why we would. It's unclear. I don't know why we would include that study, Nate. Why would you include something that completely contradicts the point you're trying to make? I came up with the answer to everything. I figured it out. Just now? Yeah. So, you know what I think's happening? The government's too big. Mm. Yeah, I think they got too much power. Mm. You might be on to something there. I don't want to, you know, I hate to break it to you. And I know that's really going out there on a limb. But now that they're going after these private contracts here, and they're going to continue to ruin the school, the college education system, which I have stated, if they're going to ruin any sector, I think that's the one that they should do. I, I think that that's okay. Um, now they're coming after your gas stoves. Now they're going after your Galder and gas stoves. <laughs> Can't have anything. Which is here. literally one of my aspirations in life. <laughs> and they're telling me, okay, I'm going to have to go buy it, put it in the safe somewhere. <laughs> but I don't know what color to get. <laughs> Just in case. You're going to have to buy some on the black gas stove market Yeah, later on for double the price. Might have to get it from Russia even. More than likely. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call my buddy Vlad. <laughs> you won't be able to read the dials. <laughs> you know? Hey, check out this shirt that says the answer to 1984 is 1776. I don't know what that means. I'm not calling for anything. But it sounds cool. It does. So you should go to GodHatesFeds.com. The answer to numbers is numbers. The answer to numbers are numbers. The answer to a certain set of numbers is a different set of numbers. I found the code, and yeah. it turns out the answer is 1776, whatever that means. Yeah. It's just math. Is that your iPhone passcode? Yes. <laughs> sure. Whatever it is. <laughs> All right, y'all. If you enjoyed today's episode, Nate's flashing before your eyes now on the video, or he was, I guess, but... Um, the merch store. You can find that at godhatesfeds.com. That's godhatesfeds.com. Like I said, go to joingml.com. We got a few new signups in the past couple of days. We really appreciate all you real libertarians out there that can go sign up to be a real libertarian at joingml.com. That's joingml.com. Also, uh, if you want to know what's going on in the market, go to natescrashcourse.com. That's natescrashcourse.com. And he's got a whole slew of education. It's about a hundred videos on there on and the market. Also posting weekly uh, updates about the strategy that I'm trading. I'm focusing a lot more on trading uh, personally right now, and uh, so I'm posting weekly updates on that and going through uh, some of the trades on that. And excited to go through that again this week. It's been a been a good week so far. And I had Charlie sitting there making sure that I get green boxes. You need an accountability partner. The, I do. Yeah, The green boxes do not mean that it was a profitable trade. It means I follow the strategy, which I know is profitable. So Charlie's my accountability partner because I get emotional. To figure out what all that means, go to natescrashcourse.com. And if you all do all of that, if you all do all of them there things that I was asking you to do, then we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.